You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, I'm Molly Southgate, and from the Broadway Podcast Network, this is Putting It Together, where on the first Friday of each month, I sit down with one of Broadway's best business minds to talk about the state of the art and their role in keeping the world's biggest theatre town at the top of the list. On this month's show... I think it's one of the reasons why the job and I are such a good fit is because I do genuinely love the idea that the venue could do Broadway music, but it could also do Broadway folks singing other kinds of music. I think the eclecticism is what has kept the venue so interesting and, you know, I love that about it. Producer, author, historian and creative and programming director of Feinstein's 54 Below, Jennifer Ashley Tepper, talks about how an eclectic and varied career comes full circle and how she handled one of the busiest years of her life. We kept joking that it was like the Joy Connors School of Performing Arts because like you know so many people working on one show were working on the other show and had a completely different job and I was like oh we're seniors in high school like in our (laughs) rep class we discuss everything from putting on the perfect 54 below show to maintaining a well-organized email inbox and how it all comes together to keep her at the top of Broadway's list of people to watch so let's find out how Jennifer Ashley Tepper puts it all together up in Boca Raton, Florida, where a lot of people have elderly relatives. The average age is probably around, you know, 75. And I think that that's relevant because I loved theater so much from afar and didn't get to come to New York a lot before I um, moved here to go to NYU. But because of that elderly population, South Florida actually has a lot of local theater to see. Um, I went to like a public high school with a wonderful theater department. There was like theater camp, but there were also so many like touring houses and regional theaters and um, amateur theaters. And I just kind of saw everything I could see. Um, and was obsessed with getting cast recordings and listening to them in my bedroom. And so I really feel like I first got the like historian thing in me from studying theater so much from afar. Um, and I, a lot of people obviously like that turns them wanting to be a performer. But for me, I was like, I don't think I'll ever be the best performer, but I think I could be the person that loves theater the most. So like, what job does that mean is for me. Right. (laughs) Pretty soon I was like, oh, I love this, but I also love like making all my friends listen to new recordings I'm obsessed with and picking out songs for people and stuff like that. So it it quickly translated into what I'm doing. Maybe not quickly, but it translated. (laughs) Right, right. Um, And of the many facets of what you do now, is, is there one that you consider your main job or is it all sort of equally time consuming? 
It definitely all feels like interconnected and related. Um, it's so funny how the history side of things feeds the like, you know, current side of things. And there are so many things I do. I don't know how I would do them as well or as specifically without the other set of skills. Right. Um, I think like, you know, producing a new musical with the knowledge of how musicals have been produced for the last 100 years was very helpful. The same way that like when I'm studying history, I can go, oh, that's so a moment from this season or a moment that I've had working on a show in recent times. Um, it's all very interconnected and also like in a more concrete way um you know i've booked so many artists at 54 below because i like knew them from interviewing them for a book and you know i've cast so many people in shows that i'm producing because i knew them from you know doing a panel with them as a historian so the historian producer sides definitely feed each other too right and do you do you like having a lot on the go at once are you someone who thrives on being busy definitely i will say like there were moments especially of the past year where i just was like this is not sustainable to do this many things at the same time um yeah i also you know since i moved here when i was 18 to go to nyu like i love going to the theater obviously and i'm such a completionist and love seeing everything and it was not until this past year which is like you know i've been in new york for more than 10 years and i was like oh, I'm doing so much, like I literally can't go to shows. So I'm looking forward to having slightly less on my plate so I can be like a right. an audience member and a person who like explores some corner of history, not because she has like a thing to write about it. So right. I think that being busy is great if you're doing all things that you love, but there's definitely a balance. And sometimes you just have to go, oh, I'm loving all these things and these are all great. And like in three months, I won't be doing quite as many things. Sure, and look forward <laughs> to that. Look forward to that break. Yeah. Um, do you have particular skills you're using that you think are important to keeping on top of it all. Do you have any like particular organizational structure that you use that you find helpful? That's a great question. I mean, a lot of the key to it is honestly having great collaborators and great assistants and great bosses and great, you know, everyone that you work with. So much of it is like delegating when you need to delegate, sharing the job at hand when you need to share it. But as far as like efficiency, I find that email folders are like my absolute best friend. You know, I have even like, you know, if I get a bunch of emails and I'm like, oh, these are a bunch of things I need to do or answer, but I'm like, here's all the 54 below stuff. Let's put that in there. Here's here's all the stuff. I'll be more chill. And you kind of um, organize your life enough so that when you're at a computer you can just go 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 and it's organized Mm -hmm. um i also like it's funny but the reason i feel like i was able to do so much this past year is because we are all working on the go now which like has some negative elements to it but overall it's like the fact that i could be running around a broadway theater where i was working and be booking 54 below shows as opposed to like having to be tied to a phone or a desk in an office Mm -hmm. um which often you know you are in the office too but just the fact that like you know technology enables us to do these things it has a lot of pros to it. Like it it allowed me to to do that. Um, Right now I'm commuting a lot to Two River for this show Love and Hate Nation that I'm working on as a producer. Um, And I get so much work done on the New Jersey Transit. And I'm just like, this is actually a pro as much as, you know, it can be a con to be able to be like reachable 24 hours a day. Right, right. People tell me I I don't use inbox folders at all. I just let it all fly in. People tell me I'm completely insane for that. (laughs) Whatever works for you. Yeah. You know, I'm one of those people that's very good at like, I'm very good at like the planning of it. So I'll make all the folders and be like, this is going to be great. And then <laughs> a day later, I've completely forgotten about all of it. Yeah. Um, so I know that there's many aspiring Gen Teppers out there in the world. Um, let's say, let's say one of them is listening, is putting it together. Um, in practical terms, what advice would you give someone wanting to do the kind of thing that you do? Is there a college major or a particular kind of work experience they should be going for? 
I think the secret of all of this and like is not, um, you know, what you major in in college or what you, the job that you get when you're right out of college. It's so much of it is like the opportunities you make for yourself. Um, not to say that you shouldn't pursue, you know, jobs and majors you're interested in, but if you can't, or if you're not, or if there's something you want to do, that's not what you're currently doing. It's just about putting together whatever, like the smallest version of that is and doing it. Like Mm -hmm. I always say this to, you know, my current interns when I'm talking to students, but like, if you want to be a playwright and you have no playwriting experience, just like write a play, put it on for your friends in a basement, eat some pizza. It's so much of it is that it's just like getting started at whatever level. Um, and also it's, you know, learning about all of these aspects of theater, even if there are things you don't want to do, just doing them when you can. Um, I think that when you're a student is a great time, even if you want to perform for the rest of your life, like, you know, costume design a show or like, you know, Mm -hmm. assist a director or do other things so that you're more prepared to do the job that you think you want to do. And maybe you'll discover other things that you like even better or the same. Um, and it's also so much of it is about finding people that you want to work with and like doing things with them. So whether that means writing to people that you admire and like offering to assist them or volunteer or intern, um, or whether that means like finding people in your peer group and just like making a thing. I think so much of all of this is just like, it comes down to being proactive. Right. Um, let, let's start, let's start getting into the meat of this. Uh, <laughs> let's start with 54 below. How long have you been there now? Almost like about six years. Six years. So 54 Below, it seems like it's this like old institution. And I love that we've become so entrenched in the Broadway community. But it's actually, it was only opened in um, 2012. And there was an amazing programming director named Phil Jeffrey Bond when it opened. Um, and pretty shortly after it opened, he was like, I would love to transition into doing something different um, and just like putting shows together, but not programming the venue. And the way that I got the job as the creative and programming director um, was that the owners of the club knew me from doing Joe Connors Christmas. Christmas there right. um, that first year. And so that's how I started. Um, but the job evolved a ton once I, you know, came on board. When the club first opened, it was like, hey, you can see a headliner and maybe there's some late night shows like once a week. Um, and when I started, it became this, you know, cornucopia, whether it was, you know, it was partially because of me, but because of the way the club evolved of new musicals and like emerging artists and established artists and old musical, like just mm-hmm. so much content, um, which was really fun and continues to be. Right. I love that. Um, was that a... Was that a bite your hand off moment when that conversation happened? Did you have to think about it at all? No, it definitely immediately seemed like a perfect job and like next step in my career and life. But what was so crazy was that this was 2013 and I was writing my first book and I wrote my first book in less than a year. And the first book I did like 200 interviews for because it had to be like the whole foundation for the series. Right. So it was this actually when I think about the last year and how crazy it was the only other year that compares was that one where it was like, why don't you be writing your first book and doing like 20 interviews every week while you're also still at your old job. I was working for Ken Davenport in his office and you're also starting your new job running this, you know, Broadway supper club. And it just was like, it was the most insane year right, ever. Right. I don't even know how I did it. And like, when I talk about shows, I regret missing. Almost all of them are in that year of like seeing. Oh, I see. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, I didn't see this. What did you miss that oh, season? My God. Two of my best friends, Lauren Marcus and Eric William Morris did a production of their playing our song at Sharon Playhouse directed oh by my friend John Simpkins sure. and I was like in what world do I miss one of my favorite underappreciated musicals starring my best friends and I was like I can't get to Connecticut how do I I can't do this um, it all turned out great but it was definitely like people who talked to me I guess like I felt like my hair was sticking out in all directions I felt like a right. crazy person for like six months but <laughs> it was a, I mean all of those things are like if you want to do something and you're building your career like it's worth it like you just it's the memories of that are great although yeah. I wish I'd seen that production right right <laughs> 
Um, and in the end of my last episode, when I was doing my little next time on putting it together segment, um, I said that you program 18 shows a week at 54 Below, and I have since learned that number is actually 16, so it's actually easy. <laughs> I don't know. It, it depends. Don't know sometimes it's 18, sometimes it's 16. It really depends. Our venue has so many amazing like departments of people that do stuff, and one of those things is special events and rentals, so it depends on how many of those right, we have, right. how many shows I have to, right. to book in. Um, and obviously, you're incredibly well connected with artists from all over the theatre and entertainment world, but how... How do you go about finding just that volume of content? You know, I think it's one of the reasons why the job and I are such a good fit is because I do genuinely love like older musicals and newer musicals. And I genuinely am so excited about the headliners who are coming in who are really established, you know, artists at the top of their field and new people. And the idea that the venue could do Broadway music, but it could also do Broadway folks singing other kinds of music. Mm -hmm. um, I think the eclecticism is what has kept the venue so interesting. And, you know, I love that about it. Um, basically like the schedule is predicated from the headliners. So it'll be like, who are all these headliners I can make offers to? How do they fit into the season, into the year? And then um, a lot of the 930s and 1130s get shaped in around that. What's interesting about like, do you run out of ideas is that now that it's been six years of me doing it, there is a certain, there are a certain number of like, we've already done so many of the lesser known musicals that I wanted to do. Um, and a lot of the ones that we haven't done, we haven't done because like there are revivals in the works for New York, so we can't do them. Right. And so it's almost started to be like, oh, and, and there's plenty of other musicals to do. But after six years, we have done a whole bunch. So in certain moments, you're like, oh, let's get creative. Like what kinds of new series can we do? And there's always new producers of concerts coming up that have really cool ideas. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of it is just like being entrenched enough in the community to like meet the people that, you know, a lot of the ideas obviously come from me and a ton come from other actors and producers and people who want to like create evenings that are special. So, um, you know, staying attuned to all those people and their ideas. Right. It's funny if there's, if there's anyone in the world I can imagine who one day may run out of musicals to produce, <laughs> it has to be you. And as you said, six years there now. So I'm sure you've seen your fair share of performances there. What have you learned about what works and what maybe doesn't in that gorgeous but very like specific setting yeah you know what's funny is that I was thinking about this recently that I think so many shows that are great with solo artists it's like the audience coming to see a certain artist they want to see them sing songs that they're known for um and it's so exciting when people get to like present new stuff they're working on or songs that they wrote or songs from like a new writer um mm -hmm. and the best shows are usually like a combo platter of that like we don't need to see xyz broadway stars sing like from all their hit shows and nothing else but we also like don't want to see a show that's like here's all the yodeling songs my grandma taught me so um a good right. a good show is a combination but so much of what I love about it is like it's all shows you can really only see once and of course that's what all live theater is but there's something so specific about 54 below where you're like oh like I'm in this audience with 150 people at most and this person is like talking to us and like doing stuff that they care about that they picked genuinely for themselves mm -hmm. and that it's never going to be quite the same and so um there have definitely been a lot of surreal moments of watching people who I grew up obsessed with, whether it's like Sherry and Norbert or Adam and Anthony, and I'm calling them all by their first names only, which is hilarious. Um, <laughs> they deserve it, obviously. But um, but so much of it is that where you're like, oh, I'm watching these people I grew up obsessed with sing songs that I was obsessed with. So that's 
always amazing. Um, but there's also equally like thrilling and memorable nights where it's like a new writer presenting work that I was just, I mean, on the way here, I was listening to the strange loop cast recording and remembering when I, like I produced this new musicals at 54 series, strange loop was one of the shows and be more chill was one of the shows. It was all shows that hadn't been produced in New York yet. Right. Um, and I was thinking about that strange loop concert and how like riveting it was and how everyone in that audience, there were so many people that like Michael R. Jackson, but hadn't heard the show yet or came cause they knew one of the performers. And it was just like, Oh my God, incredible. Like getting to see writers in process is one of my favorite things about the venue. I love that. So we'll get on to your work as an author and a producer in just a second. We'll be back with more from Jennifer Ashley Tepper right after this. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. So as well as giving you the opportunity to delve into the minds of the people who run the Great White Way, another super exciting thing about putting it together is that it's part of the Broadway Podcast Network, a new place to find any and all things theatre-related in podcast form. As well as us, there's a whole bunch of other shows on the platform, including Breaking Broadway with Kerry Butler, Behind the Curtain, Equity One, Broadway's Happy Hour, and many, many more. To find out more about BPN, visit broadwaypodcastnetwork.com and take a look at the other shows we've got on offer. That's Broadway Podcast Network, we're back on putting it together with Jennifer Ashley Tepper. So you're three volumes deep now with um, The Untold Stories of Broadway, one of my favorite things to sit and read. Uh, it's a fabulous book series. It's less about the shows and more about the theaters themselves, which has always been a kind of specific area of interest for you, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and how did that go from like a passion to what will eventually be a six-part book series? It was so special to me to spend time at the Lyceum during title of show. And that's really when my obsession with the theaters themselves kind of took on a new form. Um, it's so funny being there this past year with Be More Chill. Um, I like had so many flashbacks to moments where like Jeff Bowen and I went to explore a dressing room and we found all these like old box office receipts at the Lyceum. And I was like, oh my God, let's look up other musicals that have played the Lyceum and then like research them and listen to them. Um, so much of it was the experience of like working in a Broadway theater and really like thinking about the people who'd been there before me. Um, and at that point, I started thinking like, oh, someday if I write a book, maybe it would be cool to be like about the Broadway theaters in a personal way. Um, and then when Brisa uh, and Roberta, who are now like my book publishers, came to me and were like, do you want to pitch a book? They saw an If It Only Runs a Minute concert and they were like, hey, pitch us a book. We were right. doing this publishing company. Um, I was like, maybe it's that theater idea. And it definitely grew and grew. Because at first I was like, it'll be one book. And now we're like, there, it's got to be six. Um, so it just expanded as I explored what it was going to be. Right. And slightly internal plug, but you're going to be doing that uh, soon as a podcast with the Broadway Podcast Network yes. as well. Which putting it together is also thrilled to be a part of. Um, Yay, Broadway Podcast Network. What format is that going to be exactly? Is it Because I, the first volume of Untold Stories... Um, I listened to the audiobook of, mm -hmm. and it was like a really interesting experience. Is this similar to that? Is that the kind of thing? What's we so funny about that is that um, people who like audiobooks will sometimes be like, oh, you should release it as, you know, the interviews themselves. And I'm like, no, the interviews themselves are nothing. They're not nothing like what the book is, but they're so different because obviously like there's so much editing that went into it. Not only like, hey, I'm talking to, you know, Joe Mantello and here he's talking about Studio 54 and here he's talking about the Richard Rogers. Right. And then those are totally different, you know, books, but um, let alone chapters 
Uh, but it's so much of it is like how it got edited into stories. So it's, that'll be interesting. I mean, I obviously have audios of all the interviews who, who knows how that'll come up, but the podcast I'm so excited about the idea of it was to have, um, one guest and we talk about one specific theater that they either, um, have worked in or are working in. And I kind of teach them about the history of it and all these like fascinating stories about it. And they teach me about like what it was like to work there and like the stuff about it that they experienced and stories about the show that they did there. Um, and we read some stories out loud together from the books. So, right. um, yeah, it's been really cool. And it's definitely like a slightly different concept than the book. Very related. Yeah. Oh no, I love that. That sounds great. And as someone that has so much reverence and respect for these buildings, you actually just talked about being in the Lyceum with Tight Love Show. What was it like being in the Lyceum this year with Be More Chill? Because I know you spent so much time in that theatre, but to be producing something that's now part of that building's history, that must have been so special. It was so special and it was so nuts. Like, I have such a vivid memory of the moment when Jerry Gehring, our Be More Chill lead producer, told me, like, we're going to the Lyceum because obviously, like, all of us spent all of this time being like, maybe it'll be the Longacre. And maybe if this happens with the Belasco, it'll be the Belasco. (laughs) And the Lyceum kind of didn't occur to us, mostly because we knew that the play that goes wrong was there. And we had talked to all the theater owners, including the Schuberts, who have the Lyceum. And they really, you know, they play their cards close to their chest. That's their job to, like, you know, figure out what's going to be best for each theater. But based on, like, our conversations with them and what we knew was going on with the theaters, we just, the Lyceum didn't totally occur to us. Right. Um, there's this book that I'm obsessed with. I have to say this. Um, it's this out of print theater book called Underfoot in Show Business, one of my favorite books of all time. Um, even though it's out of print, you can get it on Amazon for like $5, totally worth it. It's by this woman, Helene Hanf. And in it, she talks about, it's like, basically it's like a memoir by a theater kid who wasn't famous yet. And she later became a famous playwright. She wrote this memoir when she was 30 and she was just an aspiring playwright who like she, it was her job when they put an exclamation point on Oklahoma to stamp the exclamation point on every program the night before Oklahoma opened. So that's a little taste. The <laughs> wow. point of this, is that this she talks about this amazing thing in the book called Flanagan's Law and Flanagan's Law Flanagan was this stage manager who she worked with who um, whatever you expect to happen in the theater it's the opposite truly and it's like even if you expect the unexpected then the expected thing happens like theater is the most freaking nuts thing in the world and that's what I always think about about the Lyceum so going there was crazy and then being there was like so surreal when I had so many memories associated with specific rooms and spots in the theater they were just like I was reliving all of them and I was worried that it would kind of erase my title of show memories, but it definitely didn't. If anything, it reinforced like, oh, I remember this and I remember that. And this is the new memory that's also happening. here. Right. I love that. Um, and that was one of two Joe Iconis musicals you produced. Uh, well, actually now three. <laughs> I know. Um, oh at the time I wrote this question, I believed it was oh only two. Um, that and Broadway, Bounty Hunter off Broadway. Um, you two have collaborated on a ton of shows at this point. Tell me about how that relationship started. I was so obsessed with his work. I discovered it when I was a student at NYU and was like, this guy's just like writing musical theater like no one else is. It's so steeped in like form and tradition, but it's also like writing about totally new topics and it sounds like nothing else I've heard. I just like was a huge fan and definitely like wrote him a fan letter, like was all, you know, excited about his work. And then we had a co-producer on title of show, uh, Sarah Katz, who was producing a five performance run of Joe's song cycle, Things to Ruin at second stage. And I said to her, like, you know, similar to the advice I said before that I would give to people coming up in the business. I was like, let me do anything. Like, let me assist you. I would love to like get coffee. I'll take notes. I'll do whatever. I would love to just like be in the room and learn what the producing of this is and learn about the show. Um, and she, thank God, you know, let me, and that was 2009. And I have been collaborating with Joe and our family of artists ever since. Um, and what's been really crazy about the past year is, you know, be more chill in this wonderful way has opened up all these doors for Joe and for me and for like our family of artists where, um, all of these shows happening existed before, you know, be more chill came 
came to New York, um, and they were evolving in different ways. And then the fact that Be More Chill happened allowed us to, you know, knock down some new doors as well. I just fast forwarded through 10 years of collaboration, but, um, <laughs> yeah, there's Beautiful. like, there's like a lot of cool things we've done together and a lot of things we're going to do. Right. Um, and how, what was the experience of like, cause those two actually both ran at this, the same time at yeah. one point. Um, what was, how was the experience of having those? Both running at once, albeit at kind of different oh scales. So crazy. I mean, so crazy in that producing involves so many different things, um, from obviously raising the money and investor relations to keeping the shows running to dealing with marketing to dealing with casting and actors and like, you know, personnel in the theater. So much of both shows was, um, the foundation was people that we had worked with for years and that was really special and exciting. But there are definitely a lot of like memories I have of like the night of the crazy blackout um, where Broadway Bounty Hunter, we were like downtown. And so we were magically like one of the shows that still happened. And I just remember like basically all of our cell phones became like walkie talkies and we were all like talking to everyone at Be More Chill. It was a lot of like running back and forth between the two theaters or like constant communication between so many of us at both theaters. Um, But that was kind of a really special part of it. Um, we kept joking that it was like the Joy Connor School of Performing Arts because like, you know, so many people working on one show were working on the other show and had a completely different job. Right, and I was right. like, oh, we're seniors in high school, like in our <laughs> rep class. Um, it was that. really, really special. And now doing Love and Hate Nation, um, which all of these shows, you know, it's so interesting having this family of artists we've, we've worked with for so long. It's like we have so many new people on each show that are so awesome and exciting and so correct for, you know, all of these roles. I was just talking to Joe and John Simpkins, who's directing Love and Hate Nation last night about how we're so obsessed with our design team for that show. And it's nobody we've ever worked with before. It's an all female design team, by the way, which is awesome. Um, and that's true of Be More Chill and Bounty Hunter too. Like we met new collaborators, but the fact that the foundation was these artists who have worked together for so long, I think helped the energy in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think it was pretty clear to anyone following you on Twitter. What a like magical time that was um, during both those runs. I want to talk to you about social media a little bit. Like as Broadway producers go, I think it's fair to say that you are one of the you have one of the biggest social media presences <laughs> like as an individual in in that role is it a conscious decision you've made to be a producer that has that kind of visibility or do you think that's just something we're going to see more of as time goes on i think because i grew up as part of like this generation that was it- I mean, I think it was a very unique thing. The year that I went to college was the first year of Facebook, that Facebook went beyond the one school. And so like NYU was one of, I think, the 12 schools that could have Facebook the year that I started. So like that put me at a very interesting spot for like experiencing social media, um, where like I'm not one of the kids who had it growing up. And I'm also not one of the people that was already working in the business and then had to adapt to the idea that this was a new like form. And I think that made me understand a lot of the pros of all of these platforms um, in terms terms of like connecting with people in terms of like creating opportunities for yourself. Um, there are so many like literal opportunities and jobs I've gotten because someone knew me from social media or like read something I wrote. Um, and I think that the opportunity to like connect with someone in Ohio that's listening to the same cash recording as you is awesome. Um, and again, like similar to the like being busy thing, like these things have pros and cons. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think social media can be used for good, especially in, um, you know, teaching people about new musicals and connecting about shows that people didn't know. All 
of those things have always really excited me. I also like, you know, during title of show, I had the experience of often being the youngest person in the room for ad meetings and for creative meetings and all that stuff. And at that point, social media was just kind of extending beyond the college world. Like I remember Jeff Bowen and Hunter Bell being like, should we get one of those Facebook things? (laughs) And I also remember being in ad meetings where people were like, is social media ever going to sell tickets? And I was kind of like, yes, this is like the new frontier, obviously. But it wasn't that obvious to people at the time who just saw it as something like new and like, you know, kind of transient. Mm -hmm. The last project I want to ask you about today. Um, Tell me about the Jonathan Larson project and how that came to be, because I listen to it at least once a day. Like it's, I'm truly obsessed. I, I need to know all about it. Thank you. We're so proud of that album. Actually, I was just thinking about that during the last question you asked me because the Jonathan Larson project, you know, I grew up very obsessed with Jonathan and his work and loved, you know, Ren, Tick, Tick, Boom and his work very much. Um, but the Jonathan Larson project came about because when Encore's City Center, the Off Center series was doing Tick, Tick, Boom, um, they do these great things called lobby projects. And I had the opportunity to, to create um, a miniature, like little Jonathan Larson on her songs concert in the lobby before a performance of Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, And that was so great. And it was like, you know, five people in five songs. And at that point, I kind of started talking to the family a little bit about like, what if this became a full evening? Um, What if we developed it into a song cycle? Like, I would really love to research this more. And they are so wonderful. They're like the greatest um, legacy bearers I've ever worked with. And like, I adore them. But the conversation like started off, you know, slowly, like I was very like, I don't want to do this until I can do it correctly and Mm -hmm. right. And it was only when and it has to do with Facebook, but it was only when I went to DC to see my good friend Jason Williams in Freaky Friday at the Signature, and I spent a day at the Library of Congress looking through Jonathan's papers and listening to the tapes, and I wrote like a huge Facebook, you know, status about it. And I'm sure that in the days to follow, like I would have written to Julie Larson, Jonathan's sister, to the family, and been like. I had such a great experience library. Like I want to continue this, but it was like the Facebook post and the fact that like people were responding to that and like people were, you know, acknowledging it. And then I started talking more to the family because of the Facebook post that really like, you know, kept the wheels turning. And I find that so much of what is exciting to me about history is like sharing how cool it is with people and social media gives you such a cool platform to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't want to do the Jonathan Larson project until I listened to like every tape of his music and heard every song and like really went through it as well as the paper. So it was years of me like researching it and thinking about it and, you know, finally talking to Charlie Rosen about how to create it musically with him um, before it actually happened. And in that, it was so helpful to like kind of be able to share the steps along the way um, right. with people. And then you mentioned Tick, Tick, Boom there. Let's let's talk about the Tick, Tick, Boom movie yeah. for a second. What's, what's your role on that? So my role is historian consultant, which I think is like the coolest title ever. And <laughs> I actually like don't, I mean, it's not, it's not dramaturg quite. And this is something that I've always, um, struggle to kind of explain to people that like being a theater historian is not being a dramaturg um, because I'm so interested in like theater and on this particular film like my job is to have the perspective of the historian so like what were the real events that occurred who was this person um, that kind of research which I don't actually think that I would want to do or necessarily be suited to do if it was like a World War II movie mm-hmm. it's specifically because it's like about theater right. um, and New York City and about like that time in Jonathan's life and um, I definitely feel like with all of the experience I've had researching Jonathan and in his papers, like I feel like I know him better than anyone else who I like never actually got to meet. Like right. I, I've spent so much time kind of in his brain. And so I'm really excited to see how that manifests on the Tick, Tick, Boom movie. Yeah. It's going to be quite something. 
I know it's very rude to ask a lady's age, but oh, I'm, yeah. I'm going to do it anyway, just because it sort of makes the list of everything we've talked about doubly amazing. <laughs> For those listening who don't know, how old are you right I'm now? I'm 33, and I don't think it's rude. I think it's great. Right. <laughs> um, so to have done all of these kind of like huge landmark projects um, with the vast majority of your career still ahead of you, do you have like a specific end goal in mind, or are you just enjoying the ride and seeing what happens? Yeah, you know, it's so funny. I feel like so much of, for me, what has made sense for my career is like, I'm so passionate about specific things, but it never was pinned on specific jobs. Like I wasn't ever necessarily like, I want to be a commercial producer or like, I want to run a supper club. Um, It's really evolved based on like what I've been passionate about. So I mean, I would love the opportunity to expand the way that I've done uh, underappreciated musicals and brought them back to life. Um, a couple years ago, I did this Rachel Lily Rosenblum and Don't You Ever Forget It concert at 54 Below, which that show had not ever been performed since it closed in Broadway previews. And I was very obsessed with the score and the story and the folks that were involved in making it. And there are a lot of shows like that that I would love to like kind of really uh, resurrect. Um, and it's not as easy as being like, oh, this is a new musical that's licensed. Let's just like put it up. It, it takes that. So I would love like the opportunity to do those. And, you know, like I, I feel like mine and Joe's collaboration is also like, there's so much more that we want to do. And there's so much that I'm excited about that I think he's going to create. And I hope to be a part of as we like move forward to the next chapter of that. I mean, I know that all of Broadway is, but I especially am so excited always just to see what you're doing next. Um, last question. This feels like a weird question to ask you, but it's the, it's the final question I do in every interview I do in this series. If the theatre business were not a thing that you had discovered, which is the absurd part of the question for you, what else do you think you would be doing with your life? That's such a, I like have never answered that question, I don't think, and it's a fascinating one. Um, Sometimes, okay, so I'm obsessed with If Then, I love that musical, which like is about, you know, a similar question to what you just asked of like, what if your life had taken one choice differently and gone in a different direction? Um, I feel like there's some weird version of me that never discovered theater that's like a local news reporter about like issues in South Florida. And I think this is part of (laughs) my like, you know, I always had a fear growing up of like, what if I don't get to New York? And I think some part of me was like, oh, I would discover like local scandals for the paper. Literally don't think I've ever told anybody that. (laughs) Um, And it makes very little sense. I don't even know if that's a job, but I think I'd be like a local news reporter. Yeah, well, some other you is famous, (laughs) some other you is queen, some other you (laughs) reports the local news in Boca Raton. There we go. That was the lyric they cut, I guess. If then, parody. I love it. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. 
Jennifer Ashley Tepper of, amongst many other Broadway institutions, Feinstein's 54 Below. Uh, you can find out more about Jen on her website at jenniferashleytepper.com or check out some of the shows she's booked at Broadway Supper Club. Uh, tickets are available for all Feinstein's 54 Below events at 54below.com. The first three volumes of the Untold Stories of Broadway are available now from Dress Circle Publishing and the podcast will be available from our very own Broadway Podcast Network very soon. Uh, we're not done yet. The truly fantastic studio cast recording of the Jonathan Larson Project is now available on Ghostlight Records. And finally, Love and Hate Nation by Joe Iconis, directed by John Simpkins and produced by Jen Tepper, is playing at Two River Theatre in Red Bank, New Jersey um, from November 9th to December 1st. Tickets are available at tworivertheatre.org. Putting It Together is produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals for the Broadway Podcast Network. Our music is by Eulis Pekan, and artwork and editing is by me, Ollie Southgate. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Ollie Southie with an I-E, not a Y. Next month, we're talking to the founder and owner of Broadway HD, Bonnie Comley, about the copyright wormhole that is filming a Broadway show for distribution and how she hopes her platform will bring Broadway shows to the masses worldwide. That episode hits your feeds on the first Friday of next month, so that's December 6th, but until then, Goodbye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.